What do we do with wonder? What ought we to do with the glory of God? Six days later, Jesus took with him Peter, James, and John and led them up a high mountain apart by themselves. And he was transfigured before them and his clothes became dazzling white, such as no one on earth could bleach them. Jesus is changed. I like how the King James version of Luke's account reads, the fashion of his countenance was altered. It's his outward appearance that changes. It's the word metamorphosis in the Greek. Who Jesus is, what he has been this whole time, as he ate fish and walked with cracked heels, as he taught beside a lake and as he pulled grain from a field to crush the heads in his hand to eat, because this Jesus needs to eat, we discover that he is also this. He is also gleaming with light. And of course, glimpses of this snuck in all along. Jesus healed people, a bit of this light escaping into a leper, a paralytic, a man with an unclean spirit. That gleam of light got into fish and bread that are broken and fed and fed and fed. But now, before his friends, they see him fully. And now look, Moses and Elijah, these faithfully departed, they stand with Jesus and they are talking to him. This is the son of God. Listen, listen to him. What do we do? And only Peter responds. He is afraid. He is overwhelmed with the terror and wonder and awe of what he sees. And so he offers to put up three tents for the three of them. Peter is so earnest. Rabbi, it is good for us to be here. Let us make three dwellings, one for you, one for Moses, one for Elijah. The narrator of the gospel inserts his adverse observation. This is what you do when you're terrified. The kind of fear that's conjured up from this kind of encounter, coming face to face with the living God. Except that's not true at all. Not everyone wants to pitch a tent for the glory of the Lord. In fact, most people run away. Others, like Zechariah, they are speechless and troubled. When the angel of Gabriel comes to Mary, she asks questions. In Revelation, there is cowering. Shepherds in their field, they race towards the place they were told to go. And then there's Peter, who sees the glory and wants to make a home for it. He wants to gather sticks and leaves. He wants to build a shelter for the three who stand before him, pouring out light. Peter wants to make a place so that they will stay with him. Peter doesn't want to build a box to contain it. He, he doesn't want to keep this, this from others, to trap it, to keep it as a weapon. Peter is building a home. He wants a home among people, a place for the holy to reside. And friends, he is not wrong. And in one way, a core piece of his Jewish history emerges here. 
Peter remembers that when the Israelites are wandering in the wilderness, when they are alone and afraid, God tells them to build a tent. Have them make a sanctuary so I may dwell among them. There I will meet you from above the mercy seat. And isn't that what we want? Isn't that where we want to meet God? Here among us, there before the mercy seat. But that isn't where the story ends. Peter is foiled. He is then enveloped by this dark, brooding cloud over the mountain. Instead of building a home, the glory of God comes to Peter and the other disciples. They are surrounded by it. The cloud of God's knowing, it gets in between their toes and in their eyelashes. They breathe it into their lungs. It gets into their blood. Peter is right except that God is no longer content to merely dwell. The glory of God wants to get inside, and it wants to get inside us. We have a word for this ongoing experience, this God in the blood. It's called prayer. And we learn from the transfiguration that prayer is nothing more than being like Peter and James and John in this moment, to let our bodies open themselves up to the dark cloud of God's being that is getting inside of us. Yes, some prayers are asking for things. Some prayers are angry accusations against God. All of that is good and it is welcome. But at the end of the day, prayer is making a space for the life of God within us. Prayer is getting caught up in this ongoing conversation between the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit that has been going on forever. Rowan Williams, who's an Anglican theologian and pastor, he describes his method of prayer in this way. He finds a quiet place to let his body be still. Then he takes five or six deep breaths, focusing on the word God. And then he takes a thought on a word or a a phrase, Sometimes he chooses the words of St. Francis, whose consistent prayer was, my God and my all. Sometimes he will say these words quietly out loud, and these words serve as an anchor for the prayer. Lent is coming. This Sunday is the theme in our liturgical year. In one place you may want to anchor yourself during Lent is in prayer and letting the dark cloud of God's presence slip in and around you to take you in, to hold you for a bit. And it's always better to actually pray than just talk about praying. And so I thought we might do that now. Take a few moments, which may feel like a long time for some of us, but let's give it a try to pray. So I invite your body to a comfortable place. And then I invite you into five deep breaths to find a word or a phrase, perhaps one that emerged from the Visio Divina today, something that connects you to the love of God. Quiet your mind, return to your phrase as needed. At the end, I'll offer a different prayer, one that comes from John Berryman in his poem, 11 Addresses to the Lord. Will you join me in prayer? 
master of beauty, craftsman of the snowflake, inimitable contriver, endower of earth so gorgeous and different from the boring moon. Thank you for such as it is my gift. I have made up a morning prayer to you, containing with precision everything that most matters. According to thy will, the thing begins. It took me off and on two days. It does not aim at eloquence. You have come to my rescue again and again in my impassable, sometimes despairing years. You have allowed my brilliant friends to destroy themselves, and I am still here, severely damaged but functioning. Unknowable, as I am unknown to my guinea pigs, how can I love you? I only, as far as gratitude and awe, confidently and absolutely go. I have no idea whether we live again. It doesn't seem likely from either the scientific or the philosophical point of view, but certainly all things are possible for you. And I believe as, as fixedly in the resurrection appearances to Peter and to Paul as I believe I sit in this blue chair. Only that may have been a special case to establish their initiatory faith. Whatever your end may be, accept my amazement. May I stand until death forever at attention for any of your least instruction or enlightenment. I even feel sure you will assist me again, master of insight and beauty. Amen. <laughs>